Thank you again for the invitation to be here. It's always a joy to come and share the Word of God and especially to preach the Gospel. Come to Psalm 53, please. Psalm 53. Psalm 53, and reading just from verse 1. Just the first three verses, but I will read a number of other scriptures as we go through. So Psalm 53, verse 1. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. Corrupt are they, and have done abominable iniquity. There is none that doeth good. God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand that did seek God. Every one of them is gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good. No, not one. We trust the Lord to bless his word to our hearts. Now, this psalm, of course, is an almost repeat of Psalm 14. We get the same message in Psalm 14. And, of course, we recognize uh, some of the verses here as being also quoted by the Apostle Paul in Romans. The first line says, the fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. There's a multitude of scriptures that speak about the fool or the foolish. Just last week I looked up Young's Concordance and there was certainly a multitude of verses in scripture that I could have turned to this evening. And with different original words translated fool or the foolish, referring to the self-confident, the thoughtless, the thick-headed, indeed, heedless, are some of the terms used in Young's Concordance uh, for the words that are translated fool. And if you were to look up Roche's uh, Theosaurus, which gives you alternative words, it's always very handy for preachers when they're looking alternative words for literations and so on. But uh, if you look it up and you look up the word fool, you find some very strong words Uh, As alternatives to fool, blockhead, bonehead, idiot, simpleton, witling. Indeed, I was surprised at some of these terms. Uh, They are quite offensive indeed. Donkey, goat, goose, muggins, numbskull, uh, moron, lackbrain. Those are given as alternative words for fool. So it's a serious matter to call anyone a fool or to call anyone by any of these other terms alternative names. Christ himself in Matthew 5, 22 warned uh, about calling someone a fool without good cause. I remember I had a, a boss. Indeed, in the early years, he wasn't my boss. I worked with him uh, up in Londonderry. And, uh, but in later years, he went up the ranks. Very ambitious chap, and he went up the ranks, and he ended up my boss for my last three years in the job. Indeed, it was he who got me into this job for the last three years because I wanted to preach at the weekends, and uh, I wouldn't have been able to do that unless I had a nine-to-five weekends-off job. And so, indeed, he got me into this job, and uh, he was uh, very good to me, I must say. But uh, he kept a Roche's Theosaurus on his desk, and he was learning... He said to me he was learning a new word every day. He was endeavoring to improve himself. He didn't have an academic background, and maybe he felt he needed 
to work at it. And so he was learning a new word every day. That was the kind of character he was. And when I left the job, I was sure he would go up the ranks uh, afterwards. But that was never not to be, and I'll maybe mention that before I close the meeting. You know, as we think about what the Scripture says here about the fool, it's a serious matter to call someone a fool, yet the Bible clearly identifies those who are fools and those who are foolish. And here we have it in Psalm 53, our first. I could have looked at so many this evening, but I've just chosen four that we're going to consider. And this is the first. The fool had said in his heart, there is no God. The atheist is a fool because he refuses to face the truth. There is evidence. God has revealed himself. The scripture clearly tells us that. God has revealed himself in everything that is made. His eternal power and Godhead is clearly seen. Man is without excuse. All man has to do is look around him and even consider the human body. Fearfully and wonderfully are we made. The human body demands a creator. And yet, of course, fools look elsewhere. What fools they are, they think it all happened by chance or by accident. But indeed, as I say, the very human body, ourselves, it demands that there is a creator. One cell of the human body is more complex than any of man's inventions and computers at the end of the day. You see, the problem is not a head problem, it's a heart problem. The fool hath said in his heart, you see, it's a heart problem. There is no God. It's not because God hasn't revealed himself. No, no, the problem is a heart problem. You see, God reveals himself in every nation throughout the world. Psalm 19 tells us that. The glory of God is seen in every nation. It speaks all languages, the psalm tells us. Reaches all lands. God reveals. All people have to do is to look up and they can see in the night sky the glory of God. He declares his glory day after day after day. They can put up their iron curtains. They can put up their bamboo curtains. The communists, the Islamists can uh, ban Bibles and uh, persecute Christians. But every day God speaks of his glory in the heavens. And God can be seen in all of creation. All people have to do is just to open their eyes and look around. It's the fool that says in his heart, there is no God. But the translation could be just no God. The fool hath said, no God. From the original, it could just simply be that. You see, man hates God. Do you think that's a, an overstatement? Do you think that's too strong? You might say, well, surely some people might hate God, but surely not, not everybody. Surely most people have no hatred for God. They might not love him, but surely they don't hate him. Listen to the words of the Lord Jesus. No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. That's quite clear. It's one or other, the Lord says. You either love the Lord and serve him, or you love the world. And you love the things of the world, and you love your sin. And indeed, at the end of the day, you're serving the God of this world. That's the reality. It's very clear. There's no in-betweens. You're either his or you're not. 
You might say, well, what about all these religious people? What about all these people that go to church every week? They don't claim to be saved. They don't claim to be born again, but they're there. Surely they don't hate God. All you have to do is consider what I mentioned this morning. Those few verses about the, the scribes who alleged that the Lord Jesus was, had the power of the, the devil. He was demon-possessed. And the Pharisees and the Herodians, Mark's Gospel chapter 3, they plotted together how they might destroy him. That's the religious leaders. They fasted, they tithed their money, they read their Bibles, they attended their place of worship, and they hated the Lord Jesus. He could say, they hated me without a cause. What cause was there in him that they should hate him so? From the very beginning of his ministry, they plotted that they might destroy him, that they might put him to death. They persecuted him and lied about him, and finally they got their way and crucified him. Outwardly, they were moral and they were religious, yet their pretense at loving God was a lie. They were white in sepulchers, the Lord said. Hypocrites and vipers, I can say that because the Lord said it. That's what they were. I wonder this evening, is the cry of your heart, no God? You either love him and serve him, or is it the case that you still love your sin and you're not prepared to let go? You're not prepared to forsake this old world, this old world that is the enemy of God. Clearly, the Bible tells us, is the cry of your heart, no, God? This is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. Is that you this, this evening? You love the darkness. You don't want the light. The Lord Jesus is the light. I read my Bible and I see that light has, has come to everybody. Every man that cometh into the world has light and has grace. That's the reality. You've had, you've had light and you've had grace. Friend, what have you done with it? You still love the darkness. You're a fool tonight if you're saying, no, God. I want to come over to another scripture in Proverbs. Just for a moment or two. Not spending much time with this one, but I just wanted to mention this one. Proverbs in chapter 12 and verse 9. Proverbs chapter 12. Sorry, it's chapter 14. Proverbs chapter 14 and verse 9. Proverbs 14 and verse 9. Fools make a mock of sin at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Fools make a mock at sin, but among the righteous there is favor. Not only, according to the Bible, one who says there is no God or no God is a fool, but according to the Bible, a fool is someone who jokes about sin, who mocks about sin. Let me just get, say a word to believers this evening. Be careful about the humor of this world, because what you'll find is the humor of this world is very often, more than not, it's a mockery of sin. 
That's so often the case. Joking about sin. Sadly, many Christians can be careless and light about such things. But fools make a mock of sin, the Bible says. And the reality is, of course, they not only mock sin and make a joke of sin, but they make a joke of hell. Friend, I want to tell you tonight, sin is no joke, and sin, when it is finished, brings forth death. And where death leaves you, judgment will find you. That's a reality. You will give an account. The Bible says, so then every one of us shall give account of himself to God. There is a day of accounting. And the reality is, for those who die in their sins, they're going to go to that place called hell. The Lord says very clearly, it would be better that you lost your eye or lost your hand or lost your foot than lose your soul, than go to that place. It's such a terrible place. You see, it was your sin and my sin that placed the Son of God upon that cross. He suffered for our sins. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And surely, because of that, we should never make a joke of sin. It's a serious matter. Fools make a mock of sin. And the reality is, at the end of the day, we'll give an account of every idle word. What fools they are that make a mockery of sin. Come to the New Testament, and we're coming uh, to Luke's Gospel, chapter 24. may seem an unusual one to come to, but... You'll be familiar with this portion of Scripture. Luke 24, we have the two on the road to Emmaus. Two followers of the Lord. Two disciples that, in the aftermath of Christ's crucifixion, they just couldn't come to terms with what had happened. And even though they heard a report of the women from the tomb, that the tomb was empty and so on, and some said he was alive, they didn't believe it. And they headed off down the Emmaus road. They headed off away from Jerusalem. They, had, they seemed to have given up. They were totally despondent. And of course the Lord drew near to them. And of course he, he held their eyes so that they didn't recognize him. And the Lord listened to them and listened to their story and their complaint. And then down in verse 25 of Luke 24, he says this. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. According to the Bible, a fool is someone who fails to believe all the scripture. I want you to notice that. That's important. He didn't just mention the writings of Moses. He didn't just mention the prophets. But all the Scripture, all Scripture is about Christ. From Genesis to Revelation, the things concerning himself. And of course, we're thinking here in terms of the Old Testament. But we need to realize that all Scripture, it's all about him, the things concerning Christ. When you're in studying the Scriptures and reading the Scriptures, you should always be seeking to find Christ on the pages. What a blessing it is as we find him in the pages of Scripture. You see, all Scripture is inspired. It's God-breathed. How people want to take the little bits that suit them, and the bits that don't suit them, they like to set it to one side. 
But you're a fool if you do that. You're a fool if you do that. Because all Scripture is inspired. That's the reality. I remember a lady got saved at a time of mission. And she went back to her church. And she spoke to her minister. I think he was a canon, whatever that means. But that's what he was. And she approached him and she said to him, told him about her conversion, that she'd been born again. And he didn't seem very impressed and didn't say anything. And so she said to him, why do you not preach the need to be born again? And he said, I don't accept that. She didn't know very much, but she knew John's Gospel, chapter 3, because uh, she was very familiar with it. Perhaps she was even saved through it. And she uh, she referred to John 3, and of course 3, you must be born again. So she quoted that to him, and he said, I don't believe all the Bible. You see, that was his get-out clause. He just takes what he wants and sets aside what he doesn't want. He's a fool. According to the Bible, he's a fool. And if you look closely at these verses, you can see the Lord Jesus put his hand upon all the Old Testament scriptures, the writings of Moses and the prophets, and in all the scripture, he expounded unto them in all, in all the things concerning himself. So the Lord here put his hand upon the Old Testament and confirmed it as inspired. And of course, in John's Gospel, chapter 14 and in 16, he told the disciples that the Holy Ghost, when he would come, would, would lead them into all truth, but would also bring to their memory. Why would the, Lord, uh, the, the Holy Ghost bring to their memory uh, what the Lord had said and done? It was for the purpose of recording the New Testament. The New Testament, the Old and New Testament are inspired it's God-breathed. We can know they're inspired not only because of Christ's testimony, that should be enough, but because of its accuracy. How accurate is the Word of God? And I could mention so many things this evening uh, that it tell us how accurate it is in places that the Bible said would be destroyed and would uh, no longer exist. Places like Babylon and Capernaum, which of course, uh, they're gone today. There's nothing there where they used to be. But, of course, we have history pre-written in the Bible. We have the details, of course, of our Lord's birth and the place of his birth set forth in the Old Testament. We have details in relation to his life and, and actions and miracles and his death, of course. Psalm 22, his very cries from the cross, his very emotions on the cross as he was crushed as a worm, like a worm and no man. These set forth hundreds of years before Christ even came into the world. His hands and feet pierced. Isaiah 53, we have clearly set forth the one who was led as a lamb to the slaughter. How astounding is the word of God. History pre-written. In the book of Daniel, we have the great empires that would rule and dominate the world. The Babylonian empire in Daniel's day. Daniel told of how that empire would fall to a lesser empire, and that was the Medo-Persian empire. But Daniel said there'd be a third empire, which was, of course, the Grecian empire under Alexander the Great. Daniel said there'd be a fourth empire, and that was the Roman empire, which trampled down the, the Western world in, in New Testament times. The legs of iron of the image was the Roman empire. And Daniel set forth, in his interpretation that that empire would never be defeated, but it would divide in two and crumble. 
feet of part iron and part clay, unable to cleave one to the other. That's exactly what happened. The Roman Empire was never defeated. The Roman Empire simply divided in two and crumbled away. But of course, Daniel revealed that it will be revived. There will be a revival. And the Roman Empire will be revived. And eventually, uh, there's going to be ten that will arise. We don't know what shape this will be. Uh, whether what's there at the moment will, will totally change. But there's going to be ten. And uh, out of the ten will rise Antichrist. These things are yet to be. They will come to pass. They will be fulfilled. This is a reality. And of course, we read in the book of Daniel of Christ's final coming to the earth the smiting stone of judgment when he will smite the nations and deliver little Israel and establish his kingdom. Israel, a nation today. That's a miracle in the Middle East. And in the word of God, we, we have the scriptures which tell us of their scattering, how they would be scattered to the four corners of the earth. It happened. AD 70, the Romans turned on them and scattered them throughout the world. There was no Israel for 2,000 years. In the book of Ezekiel, chapter 37, we see Israel is, is pictured as the dry bones. In that prophecy in Ezekiel 37, it set forth that Israel would not be in existence, that they would be dry bones, they would be dead nationally. And then God says to Ezekiel, can these bones live? And he shows Ezekiel that these bones, the whole house of Israel, will live again and be brought back to the land. Indeed, they'll become an exceeding great army. Friends, Israel is a miracle. For 2,000 years, there was no Israel. The First World War recovered the land for the Jew. The British took Jerusalem. And the Second World War, through the terrible Holocaust, recovered the Jew for the land. And Israel is a nation today. It's astounding. The stage is set. The stage is set for final events. When Napoleon arose to reshape Europe, working with Rome, many thought, sure, the end had come, but it hadn't. Whenever Mussolini arose and vowed to, to recover the Roman Empire, many thought, sure, the end had come, but it hadn't. When Hitler arose and persecuted the Jews and took Europe, many thought, sure, the end had come. There was one thing missing. Israel was not in the land. But dear friends, today the stage is set. Israel's in the land. I want to tell you, friends, you need to be saved because time is running out. Because we know the Lord is coming first for his own. He's coming to the air to receive us unto himself that where he is, we may be also. Dear friend, you need to be saved. You need to be saved now because the stage is being set for final events. But the Lord is coming for his own first of all. And I want to tell you, if you're left behind, you're going to receive nothing but strong delusions. That's what the Bible tells me. We can believe in the inspiration of the Bible because of the testimony of our Lord and simply because of its accuracy. You see, this book tells me that we're all born sinners. This book tells me that we're separated from God because of our sin. This book tells me that Christ has died on the cross that we might be saved. The veil in the temple was rent from the top to the bottom and the way has been opened up to God from the dark paths of sin. There's a door that is opened that you may go in at Calvary's cross is where you begin when you come as a sinner to Jesus. You need to leave your sin, dear friend, and you need to come and put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's look at another final one. One you'll be more familiar with, and it's 
in Luke's Gospel, chapter 12. Luke, chapter 12. Luke 12 and verse 16. It's the rich fool we read about here. Luke 12 and verse 16. And he spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. And he said, This will I do. I will pull down my barns and build greater, and there will I bestow all my fruits and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said unto him, Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose shall those things be which thou hast provided. I remember I was up in Cole Rain. Uh, our son lived up there at the time, and I can't remember, we were doing something up at his house, and I happened just to be talking to a neighbor, and the neighbor asked me uh, where I was from, and at that particular time, we lived up uh, near Money Moor at Coke, and uh, I told him where I, where I lived, and he started to ask me, oh, do you know such and such a club? He talked about some club uh, that he used to go to down in Money Moor. Did I, uh, did I ever go to this club? And I had to say to him uh, that the, the Lord had saved me. And uh, there was a time maybe I would have been in such places, but not anymore. And he said, he, say, he said to me, surely the Bible says, eat, drink, and be merry. And it's amazing the interpretation. I says, I'm afraid you've got that wrong. Uh, it was a fool who said he would eat, drink, and be merry. Uh, it wasn't uh, indeed God. And to say that the Bible said that uh, was certainly a, a, mis, a mistranslation. But here in this particular chapter, we see that according to the Bible, a fool is someone who neglects his soul. This parable of the rich fool, you know, there's no doubt that riches can be a stumbling block. The love of money is the root of all evil. And they that will be rich... And there's no doubt if your goal in life is all about money and about riches, well, there'll be problems. Clearly, we know that, the deceitfulness of riches. It also says, how hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And that's that's a, a, a statement which I'm sure many will struggle with. But the reality is, riches do create a problem and a stumbling block. And certainly that was the case with this man here. Notice his deliberation here. He considered all the options. What will I do? I've been so successful. You know, where am I going to put all this stuff? You know, surely I'll have to to pull down my barns and build greater. There I'll bestow all my fruits and my goods. Now, it's not a problem to to make preparation. It's not a problem to be successful in business. These things are not a problem. But sadly, in all his reasoning, in all his deliberation, he neglected his soul. The psalmist says, God is of the wicked, that God is not in all his thoughts. Remember, Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice? And that's the attitude of many. Pharaoh didn't know the Lord, and he didn't want to know the Lord. And there are many like that. Friend, I want to tell you tonight, it's a foolish and dangerous thing to exclude God, because there's a day coming when he will exclude you. We see his deliberation. We see his debt. He didn't realize he had a debt. You were singing about the debt tonight there, the boys and girls. And we have a debt, uh, and the Lord paid that debt, and so on. 
You know, we think of this man's riches, and there's no acknowledgement of God in any of this. We read in the Scripture, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth. So there was no acknowledgement of God and no, no acknowledgement indeed of his debt that was owed, his, his debt of sin. Notice his decision, his resolve here. This uh, I will do or this will I do. He was a go-ahead kind of character. He was the sort of man that got things done. He was someone who made decisions. Yet in all his deliberation and in all his, his considerations and decisions, he had no thought of God. No thought of getting right with God. And we see also his doom. Thou fool. This night thy soul shall be required of thee, and then who shall these things be that thou hast provided? Thou fool. How many there are that are just like that? Do not consider their soul. Do not consider eternity. We live in a very volatile world. None of us can be sure of another day. He planned, he reasoned, he, he deliberated about things, resolved, but to the neglect of his soul. Does that speak about you tonight? I wonder, friend, is that you tonight? God says, thou fool. You've been planning without God. You've tried to live without him, and it's likely you'll die without him. And the Bible is clear. If you die in your sins, where he is, you'll never be. This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Over the years, as I preached, for some 30 years or more, I've preached the gospel. There have been those in the meetings that weren't saved. And you know, I can tell you, by the time the next Lord's Day came round, they were not there. They were in eternity. In eternity. It's a solemn thing to realize. You see, time is a gift from God. Time is not under our control. It's not on our side. And time can be short. I mentioned that chap that worked with me and then eventually became my boss. And, and he was really going places. He was going up. There's no doubt about that uh, with the way he was uh, preparing himself and so on to do better. But just a few years after I left the job, I got a phone call to tell me of a terrible tragedy. There were deaths, and he was one of them. He was one of them. Now, I don't know. There was about three years since I left. So I don't know what happened in those three years, but really, for so many, no thought of God, no thought of their soul, no thought of eternity. What is your life? Dear friend, it's precious because it's the only one you have. What is your life, says James? Dear friend, it's even as a vapor which appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. It's passing. But I want to tell you tonight, what is your life? It's provided for. The provision has been made. All that needed to be done has been done that you can be saved. If only you will forsake your sin and come and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. May you do so for his name. Sick. Let us pray. Father, we thank thee for the opportunity just to extend the invitation just for sinners to come and to believe. We thank you for another opportunity and 
wherever it is preached tonight, we pray that there will be those who will indeed no longer be fools, but will be wise and will seek God. We ask it in the Savior's name. Amen. Our closing hymn is 273, 273. In times like these, you need a Savior. In times like these, you need an anchor.